You're listening to the Coach T Podcast hosted by my dad. Welcome to another edition of the Coach T Podcast. My name is Isaiah Thomas. I am your host. Thank you all for the love and support. Uh, it's been really cool doing this podcast and talking to my friends, brothers, family, sisters, and arms in the great sport of wrestling. I have a great treat. The the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only Mr. Freddie Rodriguez. Freddie, how are you doing today? Doing good, man. Thank you for having me on. Um, yeah. Nice to, nice to hear from you. It's good to be uh, in some contact with you, man. I haven't really got to see you since I was out at Western. Oh, yeah, man. I, I remember having you up. Um, so a quick kind of backstory about me and Freddie. I've actually known Freddie, oh, God, it's going to really date, about almost 20 years because when I first started repping freestyle in Greco, Freddie was this little kid. He's, he's still kind of like, I always call everybody a kid, but, um, uh, but he was just one of those, when you watched him wrestle, there was just something about him, you know, the way he carried himself on off the mat, the way he competed at a high level. And um, you knew that he was going to be special. And uh, it was great watching him grow mature over the course of the years and, and, and accomplishing the things that he did at the high school and collegiate level. Now, normally I go into a tangent talking about all the great things, but for the first time ever, I'm going to step back and let Freddie kind of talk about himself here. Um, <laughs> tell me what got you into the sport of wrestling. Okay, so, um, I mean, anyone who ever seen me wrestle knows that my dad was always right there. Um, so, really, it was that. My dad took me and my brother to the, uh, I don't know, if some of you guys in the from the Lansing area will know that it was the, uh, the CAC, the honor roll meet. Yep. Um, and it was, we got to go and watch and. Uh, we checked it out, and my dad was like, "You guys want to wrestle?" And at the time, we were doing um, this. We were, we were part of a dance group. This we did uh, like like uh, Spanish dance uh, music, and my dad was like, "You guys can win trophies and medals and stuff like that." And we we're like, "Oh yeah, we're in." So <laughs> he took us to the room, and we were good instantly, man. And we just, it just came a part of the life. Nice, nice. Now, um, <laughs> now you were as 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 a you know youth. Because back in that time, I want to say my way was starting to become what it is today, basically. So you were kind of like the the doorstep of that. What yeah. was it like in your uh, in your when you got into high school? Did you ever feel like the pressure that you you knew you were good, but you really believe that you were one of the best wrestlers in the state of Michigan? Man, so like this is the crazy thing is is like I I personally I didn't how good I was like you it, it's so weird to say and like to probably hear too but I just never thought I was as good as I was man it was like I don't know if it was like my mindset from like my from my home or I don't know what it was but uh I didn't realize how good I was until I stopped wrestling when I dropped out of high school and I seen all these guys like Tomasello committing to Ohio State Corey mm-hmm. Clark going to Iowa and I was like I'm that good Mm-hmm. And then that's like what really shifted me and, and allowed me to like, okay, I need to go back to school. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, that's really when I realized like how good I was. Like, I do, you know, I just never, it was just, I, I wasn't able to see it from that perspective, you know? Oh yeah. And, and age kind of helps you. You kind of can take a look back at everything. Um, you started your career off at Holt wrestling for, um, one of the legendary coaches in Rocky Shaft, who unfortunately we lost a couple months back. And um, what was it like wrestling for a Hall of Fame coach like Coach Shaft? 
Man, so, I mean, in the midst of it, man, there was so much going on at the time with for me and, and, and high school where I was in trouble, you know, and getting in trouble all the time. And, you know, I wasn't really – I invested fully into my community and stuff like that. And so for me, you know, having Rocky, I think Rocky understood. I think – I know for a fact Rocky understood what I was going through. I, like, even though we never talked, he knew. And he it was like – he was always there for me in a way, and I never necessarily reached out to him just because of where I, I was at mentally. Um, but I, you, it was always, it was always, he was always, he always knew what to say, how to, how to motivate you. And uh, man, it was, I didn't realize how special it was until I looked back on it, you know? Mm-hmm. And almost like that's a part of like what it was, is I took things for granted. But, um, you know, looking back at watching, the patience he had and watching how he would facilitate practice or he would teach a lesson, you know, it was just, it, it, it's like, I don't know. It's like one in one in a billion kind of thing. You know what I mean? Where right. It's just the way his philosophy, you know, he wouldn't push his philosophy on you, but you would understand his philosophy in just a loving, caring way while he would also get the most out of you. Right. And that was, you know, I think that's what separated him from many other coaches. Mm-hmm. Well, well said, well said about, about Rocky and, and his impact, not just on the whole community, but in, res, in wrestling in general. So, um, yeah, hats off to that. Switching gears here. So, you're, I want to say it was your, after your freshman or sophomore year, you're competing at the Junior Nationals, mm-hmm. and you end up winning both Greco and Freestyle. Now, I think the interesting part about this is, you won both weight classes and you won in two different weight classes. How did, yeah. what happened there? <laughs> man, dude, I was cutting I was cutting everything off that I had, man. It was my dad had me maintaining my weight at like 117, 118. I could have grew up to about 125 that summer, but I literally was working my tail off to maintain at 17, 18 and then cut the rest of water. Mm-hmm. I cut for junior duels. I cut from like I said one seven, one thirteen for Greco. I was, I we got there. I was, I made my cut, um, you know, and and then after Greco, we had to we had check our weights and we had to weigh in the next morning. And I was twelve over, and I were literally worked out. I think I got forty five minutes of sleep, but I worked out from ten o'clock p.m. till seven a.m. to get on the scale at one hundred five point zero, and um, and I ended up making it. And then three weeks later, I ended up finding myself in the exact same position. Um, like I'm talking, man, like I had to get carried into the weigh-ins at, at junior duels when after I made that cut. Mm-hmm. So we all paid, we all like all team Michigan, we piggybacked in. So it didn't look bad. And, yeah. Like I got helped up the stairs and like, I had to make that same cut three weeks later. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, got out of the Greco finals at in the evening, late at, at night, like nine, 10 o'clock and it was one seventeen. I had to cut to one Oh five. And I was like this again. So, you know, I started trucking along, trucking along and, this time it was harder, and um, you know I got to I got to like three in the morning, four in the morning. I had to go lay down, get it about 30, 40 minutes, get back up. And at that time, I I couldn't get a sweat going when I woke back up like I could the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up uh, missing. I, my coach Tom Olson told me to um, go inside, check my weight. We had like an hour, left, or like thirty minutes or something. He was like, mm-hmm. "Go check your weight. If you're over, come back out. We'll try to get off." I went in and checked my weight. It was 105.6 and sat right there. I was like, no, nah, I'm done. And um, I ended up, man, it's crazy because looking back, man, my dad was my dad was a mastermind when it came to this type of stuff. Right. Um, I, 
I used to joke with them and tell them I missed weight all the time. And, and um, I told them I missed, I missed weight when I got back to the hotel and, I, and <laughs> I, I'm getting ready for the third leg of the triple crown. Right. Right. I won folk style, one Greco. And now, yeah. and I told him I missed weight and he's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, well, pack your, he's like, pack your shit. We're going home. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, all right, dad. Um, you can go home. I'm staying here and I'm winning a national title. Thank you for believing in me. And I walked out of the room mm-hmm. and I kept my distance from my dad the rest of that weekend. And I think he knew what he was doing because mm-hmm. <laughs> I went out there and penned like my first five guys <laughs> and then, you know, end up beating like Derek Elmore, Corey Clark, and Sean Garrett just to get mm-hmm. to Evan Silver. Yeah. And then ended up having to come from behind win and against Evan Silver. And that was just like, man, it was like Cinderella. It, it really was. No one in that entire arena, including myself, expected me to win that match. Mm-hmm. And that was the only match in my entire life I ever truly doubted myself. Right. So, yeah, man, that was crazy. Right. Such a crazy run there. And then and then you won Flow Nationals, I believe, that year, too. Yeah, but... I won Flow. I won double double titles at Fila Cadets. Um, I, I won uh, Folk Style Nationals, Flow. Yeah, man, it was it was a crazy summer. Quite a run, quite a run. So you talked about so then you go from Holt to Grand Ledge. Um, you get coached by another, in my opinion, one of a uh, pretty great coach in himself and Steve Delaney, mentored by Tom Muir, who's another Hall of Fame coach, um, and win a third state title. And 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 your runs to the state titles. So I mean, so I mean, your twelve matches, all of them were pretty dominant. You know, you yeah, don't. Man. You, it's very rare to see I that. I think we have one dominant. decision. I think there's one decision in the entire all 12 matches, and that was my state finals freshman year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, against uh, Alex Caladrino from Howell. Yeah. Uh, pretty, pretty tough for us, Alex. Uh, oh, man. You, <laughs> you guys had some battles. Oh, yeah. He caught me in a split on my freshman year. <laughs> uh, it was my only loss my freshman year. Mm-hmm. At regional. At Everett. Okay. Man. So you go from there, and, and you were talking about. Uh, you got into some trouble, dropped out of school, and then you realized, man, I, I want to go back. How did you end up end up, you know, getting your diploma and then venturing out to Iowa? Man, dude, when I so when I dropped out, I was living at um, you know an old wrestling buddy's who's who was older than me, mm-hmm. uh, significantly older than me, uh, because I had nowhere to go. I left my parents' house, and um, you know, I was told not not to come back, so I didn't. And um, I ended up being homeless and dropped out. And then when I decided to go back to school, I, I hit up, you know, this guy out in Iowa. He hit me up. Well, I hit him up and was like, look, I need, you know, he hit me up when I was back when I was in high school. He hit me up and was like, dude, you should come try to wrestle out in Iowa. He was a former Iowa Hawkeye wrestler. And mm-hmm. um, he was Mexican and he wanted, you know, he a fellow Mexican to do well. You know, that's how he, that's how he was. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, basically was like, dude, I need to get back into school. So he let me come out and live with him. And, you know, I was at this time I was partying. I was, I still wanted to go back to school, get into school, get my diploma. I knew I couldn't wrestle, but I was still partying. I was still in that lifestyle fully, man. It was just living like a slob. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, his parents and he was living with his parents and Mm. they ended up kicking me out. And I went from there. Then I went to Mr. Uh, Facundo, uh, Mm -hmm. um, Augie Facundo's house out in Bay City and stayed with him for a couple months. And then I went I went and ended up finishing at, at Lansing Everett. I stayed with my, my biological mother and um, ended up graduating there. 
And so, you know, I was hopping around my senior mm-hmm. year just to complete school, you know, finding a couch I could, you know, or a house that I could crash at just to stay in, just to right. continue moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was, it was one of the darkest times of my life, to be honest, man. Yeah. But you found, you found your way to Iowa Lakes Community College and, and ended up showing everybody why you were one of the best lightweight wrestlers in the country, uh, winning back-to-back junior college titles there. Mm-hmm. Did you find the transition from high school to college wrestling difficult for you? Um, man, I, th- I wouldn't say the transition from the wrestling to that. I would say it was more or less the, the mind sharpening and, and turning my mind and so the transition was not from a physical from an athlete because I had the knowledge I had the technique even though I wasn't in shape even though I wasn't you know there um physically I had all the technique in my brain already you know so I was it wasn't it wasn't that the hard part for me transitioning was my actual physical self because I I went from being seven percent body fat my entire life to now like 30 percent body fat and mm-hmm. you know mentally at my weakest point and just a broken kid, man. And to try to come into college with no support and no, you know, I had, I had, I had people there looking out for me, but like, it wasn't the support of like the people that like should be there for me kind of thing, you know? Right. And so that, that, that mental part was what really got me, man. I called Augie Facundo like so many times in my freshman year and was like, man, I just want to come home. I can't Mm -hmm. do this. I don't want to do this. It was just too, it was just a lot. And I never did. But uh, that transition for me, the toughest part was mental. Yeah, yeah, and, and it is. I mean, you've always been an elite-level wrestler, so the wrestling probably was the easy part. It's the exactly. lifestyle of being a college athlete, a college student athlete, to be the diff- – and I would say that to anybody, transition from high school to college. You know, it's one thing to be a high school student versus a college student, but to go from a high school student athlete to a college student athlete, I don't care what level you're at from JUCO all the way to Division One. It's definitely a big leap in the fact that you, you kind of set your own schedule, but you the coaches set your schedule too. You're pretty much going to school all day. You got practice. Sometimes you got practice in the morning. Uh, you have Friday or Thursday travel days. You got to make weight the same day. Um, you have to make scratch weight all the time. So Yeah, man, it's a lot. And um, especially if, like, me personally, I wasn't even a student in high school like that. Like, I, I got by because I could memorize stuff and was just – naturally somewhat smart and upgrades, but um you know it was i had the routines all that stuff man i I failed i failed i failed some classes my freshman year and in order for me to graduate in two years and get ready to go d1 i had to take 21 credits my sophomore year and then Mm -hmm. 17 i took 21 and 17 each semester and that was and then for me that was a lot Oh, yeah. I, I remember taking 21 credits my last year before I had to get into student teaching. It was the only way I could do student teaching for the for the winter. And 21 credits is a huge haul. You pretty much live at the university. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah you is, I, I cried a lot, man. It was, <laughs> I'd be reading a book or I'd be, like, frustrated doing homework, and I would just break out crying because I was so mm. frustrated. Yeah. But yeah. you made it through. And, yeah, uh, man. <laughs> for, so from there, so what made you – what, so originally you're going to go to Oklahoma, and then you ended up at Southern Illinois. What about Southern Illinois, Edwardsville, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, what uh, excited you about that program at the time? Um, so I was I was connected with um, over there my mentor over at um, 
OU was an old uh, former coach at OU who was his name is Jack Spitz, who's a phenomenal guy. Mm-hmm. Um, great coach, um, Hall of Fame coach as well. Um, you know, so he was my mentor, and uh, you know, he he guided me toward you know Christ, and I, I developed a relationship with God, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so his son was actually the, uh, the head coach at SIUE, Jeremy. Okay. And um, so there was that connection. So I went out there for a visit, and um, you know, I went down there, and you know, the I hung out with the guys, and it just seemed like it was it was a tight group of uh, of guys. Right. Which it, it, which it was, man. They were. It was. It was. There was no egos there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, the egos were gone. You know, at a place like OU, there's a lot of egos walking around and stuff like that. And for me, it, it makes it someone someone coming in new and. Right. Someone who's established, you know, themselves as a wrestler there already to come into a place that's new or right. a place like that. And it's, you start battling with people who have ego issues. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's what ended up, I mean, to be at the end of the day is what led, you know, my behaviors actually led me out the door, mm-hmm. but it led to an ego situation that led to, you know what I mean, kind of thing. Right. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, SIU was a good fit because of the they were they were a tight family. Mm-hmm. And then you end up uh, you end up being and uh, make it to the round of twelve. And in my opinion, you had a pretty good college career. I mean, and it spans two different levels of competition from JUCO to Division One. Mm-hmm. Then you put a cent out in uh, at Life University out in Georgia. What what took you that way? So I came back home and, um, you know, I stopped going to school and I, I was over, I, I ended up messing up again and, you know, I started doing, making the wrong decisions and, you know, Benny Gomez was actually at Muskegon mm-hmm. uh, Community College right. and um, I, I went out there I was at a, I was at another very, very low point and Benny was, I told Benny what I was going through, depression and stuff and he asked if I wanted to you know, come out to Muskegon and just work with them and stuff because it was a sophomore year. And mm-hmm. um, I was like, yeah, oh, of course. So I came out there and it started pulling me away from my depression, started coaching there and, you know, ended up helping those guys finish their season. And, um, you know, Bach or Hadawan, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was coaching him. He was getting recruited down to Life University. And um, uh, they asked about Benny. And Benny was looking to go Division One, mm-hmm. But, uh I, I mean, Bakker told uh, Omi, like, yeah, if, if you want to get Benny, you're going to have to bring Freddie down. Mm-hmm. And um, so he ended up getting me, but not Benny, because Benny was, you know, looking to go Division One. But right. uh, Bakker hit me up, and I was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. Mm-hmm. So I get, so I ended up going down there, and now I'm, you know, two and a half weeks from graduation. So. <laughs> well, that's an exciting time. I was just going to ask you, like, what? so what are you doing now? So right now I'm I'm actually well I'm finishing up school like I said I got three you know two two and a half three weeks left of that um, being a father I'm training full time mm-hmm. um, or as much full time as I can running right. camps and clinics and then I just got hired in as the assistant coach over there at Brighton for the year. Um, nice. One of my one of my buddies Sean Scott that I grew up wrestling with from Holly mm-hmm. he just got hired in it's gonna be his first year he took over as a head coach. Yeah. And he hit me up to see if I, you know, needed an opportunity. I was like, yeah, man. 
Well, it's great for Brian. Um, I remember watching Sean wrestle uh, at Holly, and it was very decorated wrestling. I want to say he went to Northern Illinois also. Yes, um, he did. We actually dueled him uh, while we were there. <laughs> oh, that's uh, we, crazy. Yeah, it was cool. He's a good kid, man. Uh, mm-hmm. good, good guy. Oh, yeah. Well, the Bulldogs are gaining a very strong addition with yourself and Sean there. And uh, I guess to, to kind of focus on the, the coaching aspect of it, you were a high-level, like, elite-level athlete. Um, one of the things I've always said about you, like, when you watch Freddie, if Freddie loses a match, it's not because he's not wrestling 100%. He either got mm-hmm. caught or that guy just won a couple positions. You never took a match off, so to speak. Right. As a coach, what advice would you give to them when you're coaching such an elite-level athlete? Like, some things to say to them, training-wise, etc.? Man, so this is like, it's something like, so it depends on, let's say you, if you get a youth guy, you want him to go like that. You, you want him going hard like that every day, right? Because mm-hmm. kid, kids don't get tired like that necessarily. I mean, yeah, we need breaks and stuff like that. But typically, hey, right now, for I would say youth wrestling, let's learn how to grind. Let's learn how to work hard when we need to, right? Right. And then now, once you get to high school, we're still going to work hard, but we're going to learn how to focus on the fine to finest things mm-hmm. and then once you get to college is you shouldn't really have to wrestle super hard you know it was sh- like that's one thing that i didn't learn until after i was starting to get out the door mm-hmm. um but i always worked 100 percent in the room every day and when you work 100 percent all the time every day it takes away from your positional learning mm-hmm. right so you got to find that balance you know you want to go hard you want a guy who's, who's willing to run through a wall but he doesn't need to run through the wall all the time. You know what I mean? Um, sometimes let's let's slow it down. Let's let's really, you know, and that was one thing my coach told me my senior year was, hey, we really got to slow things down so we can really focus a little more on, this, on the fine things. And I was just so, you know, one-track-minded one about, you know, mm-hmm. outworking everyone. Right. Hard on everyone every day to where mm-hmm. it ended up actually becoming, you know, one of my – it became my Achilles heel, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, great, great stuff. And now when so I, I think back to how, you know, I was very fortunate through my coach career to coach some high level wrestlers. And I would say the big thing was the fine tuning things and trying to really work on their positioning because, yeah, they could go 100 percent and they can grind everything else. But it's the fine tuning, like you said, that really separates the the good guys from the elite guys, the guys that are winning championships year in and year out. Um and then my last question to you is, from an athlete standpoint, what do you think is the most important part? Is it the, the workout partners? Is it the coaching? Or is it really the individual athlete that uh, is able to get the most out of their ability? Um, I'd say it's definitely – it's got to be a team effort, man. Um, you know, the athlete and the coach and the teammates, they all have to be corresponding and on the same page if – if you got guys on different pages uh, or even just on a, a partner and a coach and, and, and yourself on a different page, you guys aren't going to be able to flow together in the way that you need to. And, you know, to get the most out of an athlete, it's just going to take motivation. So you got to have a motivated athlete. Mm-hmm. You got to have a, a, a positive motivating coach who right. knows his, who, who has the ability and the understanding that he has to get to know his athletes, which is a mistake that I made early on in my coaching career. Um, you know, it was like, you no, know, this is how it needs to be. This is what it's going to be like. This is what it is. 
and as I started, you know, getting older and, and more experienced as a coach, I learned, look, I got to learn. I got to first, I got to build this bridge of communication between the athletes. Right. And, you know, and that was one thing that I really, that was like the biggest lesson I learned as a coach out there at, um, at life, you know, um, Omi, Omi does a good job. Um, and, but yeah, it's, you know, being able to communicate and have, have that, have that open door of communication with everyone involved, you know, is, is, is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say, Freddie, your story is is unique because you've had these these peaks and valleys, but in the end, you've still been able to overcome and, and, and persevere through those really tough times where life wasn't giving you the get, giving you the best and you started making some better decisions. So I'm super proud of, of the man you have become and looking forward to all the great things that you're going to be doing in the future with your coaching, being a dad now and and all that other stuff. I mean, and, and with your competition coming up, uh, you have a fight this uh, this week, right? Uh, October 9th. Yeah, October 9th. So we'll be uh, we'll be rooting you on to victory on Saturday, October 9th. Great talking to you as always, Freddie. And you take care of yourself, right? Yes, thank you, Isaiah. Thanks for having me on, and everyone stay blessed. Thank you for listening to the Coach T podcast by my dad.